Open your Bible to Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. If you don't have your Bible, steal your neighbor's Bible. Just kidding. Uh, but if you don't have your Bible, I always recommend bringing a Bible to church, you know. Uh, the Bible is God's Word, and the Scripture indicates that God's Word is like a sword. I have a sword uh, in, my, in my office where I study, and it's, it's hung up on the wall. It's like a decorative thing, but it's a real deal sword. It's, it's really nice and everything. And my little boy, who's six years old, and, and if you ring him out, he is 100% boy. He is 1,000 million percent boy. If you need an example of that, I'll give you one. Yesterday, we come driving home, and we get to the house, and, and he runs up to me, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what? He said, there's a bunny in the driveway. I said, oh, cool. He said, can I get my BB gun? And I said, is your mom here? No. <laughs> we, won't, we won't worry about what I said. Anyway. I said, yeah, you can go get it, buddy. So he runs out there, Mr. Bunny Hunter. And, uh, so anyway, he's all boy. So he comes up in my office, and he sees this sword hanging on the wall. And he says, Daddy, can I hold that sword? I said, yeah, well, I guess so. So I take the sword off the wall, and I, I pull it out. You know, it's, it's a sword, man. It's, it's for real. So I hand it to him, and he's holding He's staring at it. And you'd think, does anybody remember Thundercats? That was, used to be a cartoon, and they would take this guy, I don't remember the guy's name, but he would take a, a, a sword, and it was only this long, and he would sling and go, Thundercats, and he'd go, Thundercats, and he'd hold it up and go, Ho, and all the other Thundercats would hear it. So I don't know if he was Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Thundercat, because he said, Ho, and all the Thundercats would hear it, and he got this sword, and everybody came running to where he was, and that's what I thought when I saw my little boy holding this sword, because he's just, he's just crazy about this sword, and he's like, Oh, and then I thought, Man, what if we had that much awe and admiration? For the sword of the Spirit. What if we looked at the Bible like I can do anything with this word. I can do anything with this sword. I just think, man, if the word of God is as powerful and as sharp as God says it is, and it is, then we, are, we really ought to pay attention to it. So bring your Bible to church uh, if you have the opportunity. I want to preach this morning a continuation of a message that we started last week uh, on the idea of making room for faith of preparing for faith to work in your life, of making room for God to do something. Now, that's a very simple concept. The issue is the implementation of the concept. Uh, for instance, a, a diet is a very simple concept. It is the implementation of a diet that is difficult. My favorite diet is the I'm going to start tomorrow diet. I'm very good at it. I've been on it now for about 12 years and it hadn't failed me. But it's the implementation of a thing that's difficult. And faith is the same way. The idea of faith, especially when we're in a room like this, when we feel the presence of God, we sense the presence of God, uh, we finish singing and praising and worshiping and everything's going great, the implementation is where we tend to struggle. Monday through Saturday. Right now, we're, we're on like a, a, spiritual, a spiritual high, if you will. And we're going, man, bless God, everything's going good. But then Tuesday morning, uh, you may have a flat tire. And when you're driving with that flat tire, you've got to make sure that you're not looking with eyes that you see, but you're rather looking with eyes that can see the unseen. You're living by faith and not by sight. And that faith says, I understand things don't look right all the time, but I'm not like the world. Even though I'm in the world, I'm not of the world. And I'm going to continue to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ even if I can't see the solution I'm going to make room for faith to operate in my life 
When Crystal and I got pregnant with our, our actually, we didn't get pregnant, she got pregnant. Uh, but when she got pregnant with our first baby about nine years ago, a uh, baby, his name's Haley, her name's Haley, and she's over in Children's Church right now. But we were living down in Atascacita, Texas. And we had our, our first house. It was a, a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And we had a, a bedroom on one end. That's where we stayed. Then we had a, a guest bedroom. Then we had another bedroom. And that other bedroom had been converted into my room. I said, baby, I said, you got the whole house. I just want this little old bitty room. And I'm going to put a TV in it that barely fits. So I had this room that was my office slash man cave slash where I watch Sports Center, slash awesome room that belonged to me, and everything was right with the world. And then we began to begin expecting God to bring us young Haley. And things change when expectation begins to grow. And all of a sudden, things that were important are no longer as important as they once were. So the room where uh, that was a guest room... That was going to become the nursery. And I'm like, Crystal, you're two weeks pregnant. Do we have to build the nursery now? She said, don't want to wait too long. I said, okay. So we began making the nursery, which was the uh, guest room. And the problem with making the nursery, which was the guest room, was the guest room had to get moved. And guess what? It didn't move to the master bedroom. She stole my man cave. We took a bed and put it in there. And I was like, oh man. She left my TV in there. So here's the interesting thing that happens when you have a guest room. Uh, people come and visit. Especially if you have a comfortable guest room. And I would recommend, uh, if you don't want people to stay too long at your house, uh, don't put a ceiling fan in it. Don't put a TV in it. Maybe put an old bumpy mattress in it. <laughs> but it wasn't like that at all at our house. Still is not today, by the way. But it wasn't like that. It was nice. It was plush. And I, I lost my room. And the whole thing, Crystal, man, she, she got this bag that was like, you know, big as a, as, as a, you know, just a big old duffel bag. And, and she started she telling me, you need to get your, your toothbrush and your toiletries and you need to put her in here because when we go to the hospital, I'm like, baby, you took the pregnancy test yesterday. I don't have to do it. She goes, you want to be prepared? It's okay. So I put my stuff in there. I said, how long do you think we're even going to be at the hospital? She's like, oh, you know, a day or two, and, and that's how it goes. And I was like, man, do you think they have sports center at the hospital? She didn't like that. But she was making room for what she was expecting. The bedroom that once was just a guest room now transformed to a nursery which matched the, the, the bed sheet, the, 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 the dust ruffle. Uh, it matched that. It matched the, the bumper going around it. It matched the, 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 the little thing where you change them. What do they call that thing? The changing table. It, it, everything was just matchy, matchy, matchy. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Our bed doesn't even have a, a, a dust ruffle. And this baby's got everything laid out. And she goes, you got to make room. Got to get ready. So what I'm saying is, in your life... You've got to prepare for what you are expecting to take place. Because God is about to do something in your life so powerful that you're not going to be able to recognize what your life looks like now compared to what it looked like then. But you and I have to develop an expectation and an expectation is only a real expectation when you're starting to make preparations for what you know is coming. 
We'd never seen the baby. We'd never held the baby. We'd never kissed the baby. Any of those things. But we knew that that baby was coming. So we began to make arrangements for that child. And we began to make changes to our home. And normal life was over for us. Everything was shifting. Do you remember normal life before you had kids? You remember going out to eat at like real, real fancy restaurants? Like IHOP and Denny's? You remember going to a nine o'clock movie and not staring at your watch going, oh man, the babysit, they will never babysit again if we come back home after 11. Do you remember when, when you would sit there and you would have an idea and you would just get up and do it and you didn't have to worry about it? That's what our life was. And now our life is about to become something else. But instead of just sitting back on our heels, we began to make arrangements for that new thing to come into our life so that when it got there, we were prepared for it. And when you prepare for something, that is the number one sign that you really expect what's coming. Have you ever seen somebody that keeps talking about what they're going to do, but they've never made a single preparation? They keep talking about what's going to happen, but they never make a single pre uh, a preparation for it. All I'm asking you to do today is to commit with me to make room for faith. I'm going to read, and it's basically two different stories in one. But Jesus is walking by, verse 41, Luke chapter 8. It says, Behold, there came a man named Jairus, a ruler in the synagogue, and he fell at the feet of Jesus and besought him that he would come into his house. He wanted Jesus to come to his house. The reason he wanted Jesus to come to his house was because his only daughter, which was 12 years old, was sick and dying. But as he went, the Bible says, the people thronged about Jesus. They began to press Jesus and they slowed Jesus down. Now Jairus' little 12-year-old pigtailed daughter is laying sick in his house. And if Jesus can just get there, she's not going to die. But all the people are slowing down Christ from getting there. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes for a minute. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't feel like things were moving as fast as they should and you began to get frustrated? Jairus was in that moment right there going, I wish these people would get out of my way. My little girl is sick. Get out of Jesus' way. My little girl is sick. But what he didn't realize is the power of Jesus does not stop whenever somebody else pulls on Jesus because there is no limit to the power of God. And that's why when you see somebody else blessed, it doesn't mean that God can't or won't bless you. It just means that the right season, the right time for you hasn't hit yet. But you and I should rejoice constantly and be glad when our brothers and sisters are blessed. So he says of his 12-year-old daughter, he's all worried about her. And then all of a sudden, the lady comes on the scene. Scripture says in verse 43... There was a woman living, had an issue of blood. Literally, she bled for 12 years. For 12 solid... The entire life of Jairus' daughter, this lady had been bleeding. And she had spent all of her money on physicians. And none of them could heal anybody. Now, there's, uh, we are big proponents of medicine. We're big proponents and thankful for doctors and modern medicine. Matter of fact, in this day and age, in the Scripture, the average lifespan was about 45 years. So something that to this day would, would just be a blip on the radar. Say, for instance, that this little girl was sick and she had appendicitis. Nowadays, we would take them to the doctor and, and, and the doctor would go in, remove the appendix, and the, baby would have, and, the, and the little girl would have a normal life. But in those days, it meant she was going to die. 
So the situation and the reason they prayed as fervently as they prayed is because they didn't have as many options as we have today. So the, the Jairus was praying for his little girl. The, little girl. the lady had been praying for herself for 12 years, had spent all of her money trying to figure out how she could fix this thing, get it fixed, couldn't get it fixed. And the press of the people were stopping Jesus from getting to uh, uh, Jairus' daughter. And the press of the people were stopping the lady from getting to Jesus. So everybody in the equation has reason to be frustrated because everybody else is pressing on God. And the Bible says, the woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon positions, neither could be healed by any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. She pushed through the people and immediately her issue of blood stopped. She said, I'm not satisfied where I am. And I don't see any room here, but I refuse to let the thought of lack of room stop me from getting to my miracle. And she began to press through the pressure and make room for faith to operate. The Bible says when she reached down and touched the hem of his garment, I could give you a whole other teaching on the fact that the Scripture says there's healing in his wings. And if you recognize that uh, uh, a rabbi... Well, I don't want to get into it. I don't have time for it. But either way, she knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that she would be made whole. So she touches the hem of his garment, gets completely made whole. And Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? And everybody, including her, said, Nobody touched you. Nobody touched you. And Peter uh, looked at Jesus and said, How can you ask who touched me whenever there's so many people touching you? And Jesus said, I'm talking about who touched me. Because when you really touch God, something changes in your life. Something shifts. When you come in contact with the power of Almighty God, the God who told the mountains how tall to grow, told the water how far to grow, and told the stars when and where to twinkle. When you touch that God, the God who we serve, something is going to change. People have talked about meeting celebrities and uh, I, I remember seeing videos of people meeting Elvis and just fainting on the spot, meeting Elvis. Elvis was just a man. If you touched Elvis, people would faint. What if you touched the hem of the garment of the Son of the living God? Don't you think something would shift in your life? That's why we spend so much time pray, doing praise and worship. Because the Bible says... That when we praise and worship God, that we're literally uh, building a chair for God to rest in. The Bible says in one translation, He inhabits the praises of His people. Another indicates that it's like we're building a chair for Him. So when we come in here and we get those drums going and we're banging and, and we're singing that praise and worship song and it's really going, it's almost like we're cutting all the rough chunks of wood that we're going to need to break the chair, to make the chair. And we cut those rough chunks of wood and then we bring them and then we start to bring the music in a little bit and then we start to move over into that worship and then it's like we're we're taking all that wood that was rough cut and we're fine tuning it and then we put it all together and we got it all and then we really get into that worship spot where it's just you and God and you know it and it seems like everybody else in the room has just disappeared and you're in the throne room it's that kind of scenario where it's almost like you're making the cushions for the chair for him and you're saying God I'm taking everything else off my agenda I'm putting you on my agenda and I want you to just inhabit I want you to just rest I just want you to sit in the praise that I'm doing everything I can to give you that's why we do it because in the presence of God, you have the opportunity to touch God. And when you touch God, something's going to change. 
something's going to break off of your life. There's a lot that can be taught in the body of Christ. But there's a lot that can be caught in the body of Christ. I grew up, uh, I have three brothers, but of the three, I was the most uh, motivated to go and help my dad when it came to working with our hands and uh, mechanical things and things like that. And I can't even remember too many times where he specifically told me, Son, uh, this is how you determine what the difference is between a 9 sixteenths uh, socket and a one-half socket. I can't remember ever saying anything like that. But just being in that environment causes you to learn things, causes you to pick things up. Because when you're in the presence of somebody, somebody is rubbing off on you. That's why we do everything we can to get into the presence of God. God is everywhere, of course, but there is a manifested presence of God. There is a tangible presence of God. There is a place where you recognize that the God of all creation is now intimately involved on your behalf in your situation. And when you can touch Him in that moment, something's got to change. The woman said, regardless of the crowd, I have to make room for faith in my life. I have to make room for faith to take place and change something in my life. And the woman saw that she couldn't be hid because when God asks you a question, it's not because He doesn't know the answer. It's because He wants to know if you're going to be honest. So Jesus said, who touched me? And when she realized that she couldn't be hid, when she was exposed, she came trembling and fell down before Him and declared unto Him before all the people why she had touched Him and the fact that she had been healed immediately. And He said unto her, Daughter, Be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Thy faith has made you whole. Everybody say, thy faith. Come on, one more time, good and strong. Thy faith has made you whole. Jesus did not say, my faith made you whole. The Scripture says, in Romans chapter 12, that everybody has been given the measure of faith. You, me, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, crazy Uncle Ned. Everybody's been handed the measure of faith. The question is, what are we doing with it? Because if we're living our life, and there's no need for faith, there's no requirement for faith, then we're not making enough room for what God wants to do. Can you imagine Jairus at this moment? Wringing his hands, thinking about his sweet little daughter, laying sick and dying. And Jesus is stopping to pray for somebody who's already had at least a significantly longer life than the little girl. And Jesus is stopping. Jairus is probably about to lose his mind trying to get Jesus there. And then somebody comes up and says to Jairus, verse 49, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. Jesus stops to heal a lady and the little girl dies. Jairus has an opportunity. He can be mad at the people for slowing Jesus down. He can be mad at the lady who got her miracle 
in advance of his daughter's miracle. He could even be mad at God because Jesus can and can do anything. Why didn't he just pass through the people like he'd done so many times before? Why did he have to stop? And almost as if Jesus sensed what Jairus was thinking, Jesus says to him, Fear not, believe only, and she'll be made whole. Your job, my job, your opportunity, my opportunity is not to just live your life, but your job and your opportunity is to don't be afraid and to continue to believe. You see, Jairus was in that moment of flux where doubt and unbelief were penetrating his mind. The Bible says it like this. That it's like fiery darts thrown at you. That's why we wear the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. We can stop, we can quench the fiery darts that are thrown at us. Here's an example of a fiery dart. You're always going to have this job. And you're never going to get anywhere. Your kids are never going to serve God. Your kids are never going to be good enough. Something bad's in your future. You're, you're never going to be able to pay all your bills. You're never going to be able, You're always going to be sick. You're all, these are fiery darts that are coming all the time. But you and I have to use the shield of faith. Believing in what we can't see more than what we do see. To quench all of those darts and refuse to let doubt and unbelief take up space in our spirit or in our mind. So that when we sense that, we hear the voice of Jesus say this, Fear not, just believe. Fear not, just believe. The Bible said they came to the house and He suffered no man to go in except for Peter, James, and John and the girl's mom and dad. You don't need everybody with you, by the way. My dad used to tell me this. I hated it. He would say, you can't take everybody with you, son. He said, you're going to want to, but you've got to make decisions. And sometimes people aren't going to do the same things that you do or want to do the same things that you do. And you're just going to have to let them go and trust God. I would see my friends when I was a teenager and stuff. They knew, and they would just begin to drift. And I would be so worried and so anxious. Dad, I don't know. I don't. I just, he would say, you can't take them all with you, son. Jesus suffered nobody to come in except for the people that he knew were filled with faith. Filled with faith because 100 people without faith is nothing compared to three filled with faith. The Bible says one will put 1,000 to flight and two will put 10,000 to flight. That means you and your husband or you and your wife your prayers are strong enough to protect your children. Your prayers are strong enough to protect your grandchildren. Your prayers are strong enough to cause the blessing of God to come on your business. Even if you're not running it, even if you're just an employee, your prayers are strong enough to send 10,000 to flight in the name of Jesus. Our job? Fear not. Just believe. Fear not. It doesn't make any sense, Lord. Just believe. I see all kind of things happening and it's almost like I sense things encompassing around me. Uh, uh, fear not. Just believe. 
There's more for you than there are against you. Jesus doesn't let anybody else come in but that small group. And everybody was crying and wailing. And he said, weep not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Now, they all laughed at him to scorn, the Bible says, knowing that she was dead. But if you think about Jesus, when he says somebody's asleep, he might mean they're dead. But for him to say dead means something else. Because dead, when it comes to Jesus, means separated from him from all eternity. But she was not separated from him for all eternity. Even if she had actually given her last breath and died, surely this man Jairus, who trusted Jesus, would have accepted Christ and him and his whole house would have been saved because when Jesus died on the cross the Bible says that he was crucified for you and for me but then the Bible says he went and led captivity he went and led captivity captive which meant everybody who had died in faith before Jesus was washed given the opportunity to say yes to Christ and was washed in the blood of the Lamb and then therefore entered into the place called heaven that you and I are going to go to one day so for him to say dead was a big deal when Lazarus was dead he said he's sleeping Because he can't describe death the way you and I describe death. When I lay my children down to sleep, they go to sleep. I don't lay in the hallway and cry, you know, wishing, oh, I'm going to miss them so much for eight hours while they're sleeping. No, actually, me and Crystal get up and dance. We say, they're sleeping, they're sleeping. But I don't do that because they're asleep, because I can understand when they're asleep, it's actually going to mean that I'm going to see them again very soon. That's why the Bible says, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant of those that sleep in Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when God describes a Christian as crossing over, He talks about us sleeping because sleeping indicates that they are asleep and I will see them again very soon. Not that they are dead, separated me from all eternity. That's why Jesus is so hesitant to use the word dead. So they're all laughing at him. Can I just tell you this? Let them laugh. I remember, you guys remember Abraham in the Bible? Was Abram, became Abraham. He received the promise of God that he was going to have a son. Year after year after year went by. Oh, Abe was walking around saying... I'm going to have a son. I can't wait to see that son. And everybody around him was going, Abraham, I I don't mean to break it to you, brother, but you're 85 years old. I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have descendants like there's stars in the sky and sand in the desert. Everybody laughed. Even his wife laughed. But he just believed let them laugh you are in the world you are not of the world Jesus really is coming back we really will meet him in the sky we really are going to heaven the loved ones that we have that have gone to heaven before we will see them this is not make believe this is not figment this is going to happen let them laugh fear not just believe Goes in with Peter, James, and John, mom and dad. And the Bible says in 54, he said he put them all out. Sometimes you've got to get rid of one thing to make room for another. I lost my man cave because of a baby. We had to make room. We had to get one thing out of the way so that something better could have room. 
He put them all out, the Bible says, and he called, meaning he spoke to her. He called the young lady. He calls her a maid. Just, just in the Greek, it just literally means young girl or young lady. And he says to her one word in King James, Arise. One word from God will give you enough energy, vigor, and faith to keep you motivated for the rest of your life. One word from God is more than a million words from men. He says to the little girl, get up, get up, arise, get up, arise, get up, arise. She gets up, tells him to feed her. Her parents are just amazed and astonished. So here's the deal. I don't know if you're in the woman with the issue of blood situation where you've been believing God for something for what seems like year after year after year and you haven't seen it yet I just want you today to recommit to make room for faith get doubt out of your mind get doubt out of your heart get unbelief out of your mind get, I, and listen I, I understand that a lot of this sounds like church speak but if you will refuse to doubt Faith will grow. If you will refuse to let unbelief stay in your heart and your mind, the faith of God will begin to rise up on the inside of you. I'm asking you today to give doubt and unbelief its eviction notice and give faith a permanent residence on the inside of you. To guard your heart and guard what you say. To speak faith into your situation and into your atmosphere. But you've got to make room for it. Maybe you're like the woman or maybe you're like Jairus where it's like, Oh my goodness, Lord, are you ever going to get... I believe you're coming, but are you ever going to get here? Why are these people slowing you down? I saw six people get healed last week and I'm still limping. I saw seven people get their miracle last week and I'm still... I don't understand it, God. Why, why, why? You've got to get the why out of the way and understand that the Bible says Jesus, when He hung on the cross, answered every question that we would ever have with one question of His own. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason He was forsaken is because the promises of God are yes and amen. And the promise that you and I get to hold to is He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. So if He's blessing somebody else along the way, get happy for the person getting the blessing because God's power is not diminished when dynamite comes out of Him. The word virtue is the word power, which is our, we get the word dynamite from it. In the Greek, it's dunamis. But we've got to get to the place where we refuse to leave fear or doubt or unbelief in our path or in our way without just making... How can I make room for faith? Here's one. Instead of taking a one-hour lunch break and eating chips for 60 minutes... I love chips, by the way. Eat for 45 and pray for 15. you got to make room for faith to happen. When you pray, believe, and you shall receive. Pray and believe. Get doubt out of the way. 
If you sense in your mind you have enough, I'll never make it, it'll never happen. No, no, no. The Bible says cast down vain imaginations. And the, in, uh, the closest translation we could get to that today would be to violently, with force, arrest any thought that is contrary to God's Word. That means when you're sensing that animosity or that offense starting to rise up, you arrest that thing violently, pin it down, and you say, My God can supply my needs according to His riches and glory in Jesus' name. You say, well, that old knee's still acting up. Well, bless God, by His stripes I'm healed. You don't look healed. Well, I don't live by how I see. I live by faith. What do you mean you live by faith? I mean whether I get my healing on this side of glory or I get my healing when I'm walking on streets of gold, you will see me run and shout again because I do not live by what I see. I live by faith. you got to make room. you got to get some stuff out of the way. you got to move some stuff. you got to... Get rid of the man cave. Not really. Literally. Because man caves are awesome. But you got to get some stuff out of the way. Last point. There's people in your life. There's people in your life. That you need to put out. Doesn't mean you can't be their friend, doesn't mean you can't love them. It just means Peter, James, and John, and the mom and the dad had access to those precious moments. And everybody does not deserve access to those precious moments. If they can't help you by praying, and you know them to be people of prayer, Please do yourself a favor and them a favor and don't talk to them about it. Just don't. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you're not friends. It just means, hey, listen, I, I, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm, I'm trying to make room for something. I'm not shoving you out. And you don't have to tell them. You don't say, you don't call them and go, hey, you're out. Somebody else is in. No, no, no. You're just making room for faith. I'm making sure that I'm not surrounded with doubt and unbelief. One more point. I was wrong. A second ago it was two. A second ago it was one, but really it's now two. There's somebody in your life. I'm talking to somebody right now. I sense this real strong. There's somebody in your life that God's calling you to witness to. He's already orchestrated it. It's an appointment. And it'll, it's been recurring in your life. You've had opportunities and you've hesitated for whatever reason. Fill in the blank. And nobody's mad. We've all done it. But you've got to make room for faith. You say, I don't know how they're going to react. I don't either. But you've got to make room for faith. You've got to make room, make room for what we don't see taking place. What if that one uncomfortable conversation that you are brave enough to have is the conversation that leads them to say yes to Jesus. And it changes their life. And it changes their lineage forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your hand in our life. I thank you for joy.